want to continue our series on uh, Listen Up. And we've talked over the last couple of weeks just about the importance of really being able to hear from God, right? And uh, if the Christmas narrative screams anything, listen to me, we're getting ready to celebrate this December 25th date where we've kind of designate, uh, designated that, that date as, hey, that's the day we celebrate the birth of the Lord. It's more of a cultural kind of thing. You, you realize that, right? December 25th was not the birth of Christ, probably the pagan gods and all that stuff that were being worshipped back in the early uh, first century uh, when Constantine took over and pretty much had the city of Constantinople built. Let me, let me get into this for a second. I think it's, it's interesting before I get into listen up. Check this thought out. When Constantine took over in 327 AD and had these different uh, structures built, he started making it a requirement that the church, that the church in Rome and in that area, you would be required to meet in buildings. Up until that time, the church was elastic, it was flexible, it was transient, it met in people's homes, and it was always on the move. So he created these buildings called Kyriacons, a house or a structure belonging to God. That's a non-biblical term, but that's what people started buying into. What Constantine did was he took pagan practices of that day, some of the religious practices that had leaked out of the Catholic Church, etc. He took some teachings out of the Word of God, poured it all into a blender, mixed it up, and just kind of poured this blend out for people to drink. There was a pagan god worshipped on December 25th. That's where the date came from that Christians would gather and celebrate the birth of Christ. Stop it, stop it, stop it. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I celebrate the incarnation and the reality of the birth of Christ every day, not one day a year. Easter was a day that was ascribed Ishtar, goddess of fertility. And so they were like, well, we'll ascribe that day to celebrate the resurrection. We would be better probably celebrating the seven feasts of Israel and looking at Passover to be more accurate if we wanted to take an extreme radical approach in our day. I don't worship a goddess of fertility, and so breaking eggs on Easter Sunday don't really mean anything to me. Bottom line is I don't celebrate Easter on the day set aside. I celebrate it 365, 24-7 because my king is alive. So as an evangelical follower of Jesus Christ studying church history, I just want you to know the birth of Christ we celebrate every day, the incarnation reality that the Word has become flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah! Jesus reigns and He's alive. And the women get to the tomb and all of a sudden the angel says, you're looking for Jesus amongst the dead. He's not here. He is risen just as He said He would. Go tell everybody He's alive. So He's alive. And so, uh, but we do, culturally speaking, I'm not Scrooge, too bad. And so, I do recognize that this is Christmas, and it's a great time for family, it's a great time for celebration, and it's a great time for the contemplation of the reality, man, our Savior is born. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, and his name shall be Christ the Lord, and he will reign and rule, and his government will have no end, and yeah. We worship. We worship. We worship. But I want to continue our series with you today. It's just a little intro. Doesn't really fit with where I'm going, but just thought I'd share it with you for the sake of the argument. <laughs> Y'all with that? But I want to talk to you today about this whole thing of listening up. And so God has spoken, 
the angels and the shepherds get this word that the Savior is going to be born, but God has spoken, and God has been speaking throughout the generations. You go all the way back into the early pages of Genesis, and God was speaking. In the beginning, God spoke the heavens and the earth, and the worlds were brought forth because God spoke. God is speaking today. We talked last Sunday that the four primary ways that God speaks and communicates with us today is primarily through the Word of God, the Bible. He speaks through gifted Bible teachers and other communicators. He speaks through the Holy Spirit, and then he also speaks through pain. I want to pause with you today, open up your bulletin, grab you a pen, take a few notes here. But how do I go about really uh, hearing from God when I need guidance in my life? Every person in this room has reached that fork in the road, that crossroads where you're saying, I need guidance. What do I do? Uh, Some of you are sitting there going, you know, I've been dating this person for a while. Should I marry them? I'm sure Barb had to ponder that one for a while when she saw me. This guy asked me to marry him. Am I going to marry this dude or not? Right? But a lot of us are pondering those kind of things. Uh, Uh, I've got this job opportunity. Should I take this job or not? Should I stay where I'm at or not? Uh, Some of us are probably pondering, you know, this whole thing of parenting. God, what am I supposed to do with this child? I've got five, but all of them are different. What am I supposed to do in parenting this child? What is most redemptive for them? Uh, Some of us are going through this end of the year, and we're starting to toy with the idea as we look over our own personal finances. I mean, am I to invest in that stock? Am I to do this with money? Come on, anybody there? And so we do evaluations ourselves, and so we're looking for guidance. Here's three things I want to establish with you right out of the gate. God cares to speak to you. God cares to communicate with you. Three simple things that I think are very essential and crucial. One, God cares about the details of your life. I don't care if you're eight years old or 88 years old in this room. God specifically cares about the details of your life. If you grabbed a sticky note and you wrote that down and put it on your mirror in your car, in your restroom, wherever you're at, and said, God cares about the details of my life. He he says in Matthew, uh, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you wear. And then he goes on to say this, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So when it comes to the basic needs that each and every one of us have here on this planet, God knows what we need. God's not stopped. God made us. God loves us. God's been chasing us. God wants to take care of your basic needs. He even says in Timothy, if you've got food and water and clothing, you ought to be content with these things. It's not what we need. It's what we greed at times that cripples us. He goes, hey, I'm going to take care of you. God knows what you need. Second thing would be this. When you start to pray and seek God, be specific with your prayers. Don't be vague and don't be general about what you're praying about. God, what am I supposed to do right now? How do I handle this relationship? How do I handle this chaos that's going on right now? What is the next step you want me to take? When you're praying, be specific. That's where I was, as Jim said, some seven years ago. We fasted and prayed for a week. And when I say fasted, I mean fasted. I mean, just that lemonade fast thing we did. And I'm like, God, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, that that church has gone through a lot of pain. It's crippled. And God goes, if I call you, I'll cover you. But I was very specific. Do I leave where I'm at? Is there something else you're calling us to do? God goes, if I call you, I'll cover you. 
And so we stepped out in faith, honored God. Today we look and go, man, we've shaved a million dollars off the debt load. There's been so many effective, profitable things that we've seen happen here. But you've got to be specific with your prayers. He says in James, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God. Anybody like wisdom in here? I know there's a lot of y'all like some common sense. No, I did not say that. I I meant (laughs) wisdom. But if you like wisdom, ask God. Ask God. Be specific. And then here's the third thing. God cares about the details of my life. When I'm praying, I want to be specific with my prayers. Third thing is this. I've got to believe that God wants to answer me. He says, when you ask and when you pray, you've got to believe in faith with no doubting. There's a lot of people that when they pray, it's so vague, but they don't even believe God wants to hear from them, much less God answer them. I've got to go into prayer believing God really wants to give me an answer. I've got to believe that really God wants to speak directly to my heart. So a lot of us wallow in stable misery and live a life of confusion because one, we, we never really run to God and really specifically say things to God in prayer. The second thing there is that we don't, we don't even believe God wants to answer us. So why would you call somebody if you didn't feel like they wanted to talk to you? I mean, right? That would make no sense. I'm about to call my wife. Uh, hold on. But she really don't want to talk to me. So, I mean, what am I going to say to her if she don't want to talk to me? It's the same thing in prayer. If I'm going to talk to God, I believe he wants to hear from me. He wants to engage with me. He wants to participate with where I'm at. Yeah, it's cool. So three intro thoughts. And now I want you to ponder this. There's a little book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. It's a little three-chapter book, and it's right toward the end of the Old Testament. It's about five books from the very end of what we've got in those 39 Old Testament books. Now, Habakkuk would be considered a prophet. And Habakkuk, if you've ever studied the book, uh, he's really frustrated. I mean, he's looking at all this evil and all this wrongdoing going on around him, and he's over there just ticked off. He's facing problems and pain every day, and he's really mad that God is so slow to act and bring down any type of judgment in what he's, doing, what he's dealing with. Anybody ever been there? I mean, you start to look at your circumstances, and you start to look at your situation, and you know exactly if you were God what you would do right now. And all of a sudden, God's not doing what you think he ought to do. And all of a sudden, you start getting frustrated and irritated with all the pain and all the disturbing people and junk going on. That's Habakkuk. So in chapter 1, when you pick it up, Habakkuk starts to kind of pin, if you will, his specific prayer to God. And he writes out of a frustrated heart. So there's some complaining and moaning and groaning going on. But he pins in chapter 1 this kind of intro frustration with God. I think that's good for all of us to do. Why so downcast, oh, my soul? I need to write down what I'm feeling. Chapter 2 is all about Habakkuk grabbing his pen and his pad and writing down God's answers to him. Pretty cool, right? So I'm going to voice my concern, but now I'm ready to write down what you're showing me. I want to break this down for you. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1, listen to what this prophet Habakkuk says. I will climb into my watchtower... Now, and I will wait to see what the Lord will say to me and how he will answer my complaint. 
Then the Lord said to me, write my answer in large clear letters on a tablet so a runner can read this to everyone else. They had heralds, runners in that day. So when the prophet got a word from God, the prophet couldn't go out and tell everybody, but the prophet would have these certain runners and they would run into these certain uh, certain people groups and declare, hey, here's what God is saying to us, right? We, I guess God would use text today if he was working with us, right? But he says, uh, write these down. These things I plan won't happen right away. This is where most people throw the towel in. You know, I prayed about that and nothing's happened. I prayed about my finances and nothing's happened. I prayed about this relationship and nothing's happened. No, nothing's happened because we live in a microwave society where lean cuisine, you pop it in for two minutes and it's ready to eat. That, that's the society. When God don't move at the pace we want him to, we assume God doesn't hear us or God doesn't care about where we're at. It's not going to happen right away. But the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait and wait patiently. It's surely going to take place. Now, I want to give you three simple thoughts. First thing, when it comes to really gaining guidance from God and having this breakthrough, you've got to get along with God. There's three words that kind of jump out of verse one. He says, you've got to withdraw, you've got to wait, and you've got to watch. That's what he says. He says, I will climb my watchtower. I want you to get this. In the New Testament, we read about having a prayer closet. Watchtower and prayer closet are very similar. It is the Hebrew expression used here in Habakkuk of saying, I'm going to eliminate distractions. I'm going to eliminate noise. I'm going to get to that quiet place where I can just hang out with God. I've got to withdraw. Watchtower. I know the JWs have butchered that with their publication, but hey, it's biblical from a Jesus standpoint. I've got to withdraw. We live in a complicated culture. There is so much thinking noise and distractions around us that it is hard to just breathe at times. You know as well as I do, stereos are going, music is blaring. TV's happening, cell phones are ringing, ding, ding, text, email, whatever is coming through. We're addicted to social, social media. I mean, all of a sudden, it even rings now when you're getting some alert and somebody likes what you said, stay hot. And the problem is we never withdraw. We, we never find that quiet, listen to me, quiet place where we can just hang out with the Lord. We don't set aside time, and we don't set aside a place. When you read Mark chapter 1, 35, and Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it's fascinating. It says this, and Jesus would oftentimes withdraw. Jesus withdrew from the crowd. He would oftentimes go into the wilderness where he would pray. I'm, I'm reading this going, this is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is uh, Jesus Christ, God in flesh. And it says he often, often, I don't want to run past that word, which means it was a habitual practice. He often withdrew. He eliminated the crowds. He eliminated the noises. I mean, he's doing all these crazy miracles, and right? I mean, what could he have done? He could have had a magic gig going on. He would have made Copperfield, man, look like a punk if you go back and study what Jesus was doing. I mean, he's raising people from the dead. Stay hot. You created the illusion. He's doing it. He's taking loaves and fish and feeding 5,000. 
What kind of restaurant could he have had? Could you imagine the people coming up and saying, dude, we've got this vineyard based on that water you just turned to wine. Man, you've got it going on. I mean, I got to get away. That's not why I came. I didn't come for restaurant and turning, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't come to own a vineyard in wine. I've got to withdraw. I want to stay in con- contact and direct communion with God. I, I want to know what the Father is telling me to do. I want to hear the Father's heartbeat. And I think if Jesus did it, we would be very wise to not look at this as a suggestion, but to look at this as something we need to incorporate and integrate as a daily habit. If Jesus did it, I need to do it. Come on. So he says, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to go to my watchtower. And then he says this, I will wait, which means I'm going to stay put until something happens. I'm not going anywhere. I've got to hear from God. I've got to have a breakthrough from God. I am going to stay right where I'm at until I hear God speak to me. I got to wait. I mean, I think God most oftentimes speaks to those who really take time to listen. I know that's the way I am in parenting. Right? Hey, let me tell you, I, I didn't hear what you said. I didn't do what you said. I want to talk to my kid who wants to do what I ask him to do, not the one who thinks I'm making suggestions all the time. And I think as a child of God, God is most often speaking clearly to those who are doing and obeying and incorporating what he says do. Don't you feel that way? But I have to get away. I have to eliminate noise. I have to eliminate the traffic and the chaos. And I've got to chill. Wait. How do you wait? Brennan Manning, the ragamuffin, the relentless tenderness of Jesus, Abba's child, Brennan Manning talks about his prayer life. And a lot of people think, Trevor, that when you pray, that you're just sitting there vegging, man, and your mind is disconnected from everything. Manning goes, no. When you pray, when you inhale, say, Abba. And when you exhale, say, I belong to you. You want to relax your body? You want to do it in a biblical way? You're sitting there going, where do I start in prayer? Abba, I belong to you. Abba, you love me. Abba, I belong to you. You say that when you're going through depression, when you've gone through rejection, when you've gone through just being knocked down, and you get along with God, and you start to tell God, Abba, Heavenly Father, Daddy, I belong to you. I belong to you. It'll change your prayer life. It'll change your perspective. It'll change where you're at. He says, you got to wait. I belong to you. Are you radical enough to risk that maybe? With the pain that's going on in your journey right now? And you're going, life sucks, and I've been beat up so bad, and I don't trust anybody, and i got all this bitterness going on inside of me. Are you willing to risk getting along in your watchtower and waiting and saying, Abba, I belong to you. Repeat it. Write it down. David, even in the psalm, says he does two things. He says, you know what I do? I vacate and I contemplate. 
That's what he says in Psalm 46.10. He says, be still and know that I'm God. The Latin phrase of be still literally means take a vacation from being God long enough to let God show you that he's capable of being God. I'm going to vacate. I'm going to take a vacation from being God. I'm giving up my card that says fourth member of the Trinity. I just got kicked off the boat, and I'm going to hang out with God and let him speak to me. I've got to vacate. Yes, Abba, I belong to you. And then he contemplates. Listen to what he says. Psalm 62, 5. My soul waits in silence for God only. I've eliminated the noise. I'm in my watchtower. I'm in my prayer closet. I'm hanging out with Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed one. I'm with God. All the distractions are gone. And now God is able to speak to me and penetrate my soul and penetrate my heart. He says, I wait in silence for God only for in him is where my hope comes from. I mean, that's what we've got to do. I've got to vacate, and I've got to contemplate. When I vacate, I eliminate. But when I start to contemplate, I start to reason with how good God is. That's what he says right here. The whole passion of prayer is conversation and contemplation with God so that I'm able to recognize his voice in the midst of all the chaos. So he says, you got you to get along with God. You got to withdraw and you've got to wait. And then he says, watch. Just watch. I mean, it's like experiencing God. You find out, watch, where's God working and join God there. I, I got to Watch. I want to have eyes that see, because eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. God wants to give us eyes that are able to see, see beyond the obvious. What are you showing me? I'm going to get into my watchtower. I'm going to wait, and now I'm going to watch and look around. God, show me what you want me to know. That's what he says. Even Paul, this would be cool. This would be cool for you to do for yourself as well, over your family. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He's praying for the believers in Ephesus. He's praying for those new followers of Jesus who have embraced him as Savior and Lord. Now, now, now check this out. I pray. I'm going to insert a name. Insert a name right here. Insert a name. I pray, Rachel, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the soul, the emotion, the will, Rachel, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will totally be illuminated, that you would have this revelation from God, that you would be enlightened. So that, Rachel, you will know what is the hope of his calling on your life. Man, if you started praying this over people, it would be so crazy. Over yourself, God, I'm praying that Rachel will know the hope of the calling on her life, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of chaos. Lord, I pray that she would know the hope of her calling. I pray that she would know the riches of the glory of her inheritance that she has in Christ. But I can pray that over my daughter. I can pray that over my sons. I can pray that over my wife. 
I can pray that over my friends. I can pray that over our staff. He goes, I'm going to get away. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch. But I could pray that over Dean, and I could pray that over Kale, and I could pray that over Clanton, and I could pray that over Luke, and I could pray it over Shroll, and I could pray it over Rager, and I could pray it, and I could pray it, Mama Kay. Lord, give her an enlightened heart, eyes to see. Come on. I'm going into this holiday season. It doesn't have to be hollow days. It can be holy days. It can be intimate days. It can be purposeful days. I want to hear from God. I need guidance. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch. Then listen to what he says. Verse 2. The Lord said to me, now write my answer in large, clear letters on a tablet. I'm going to get along with God. Then he says, you've got to write down what I'm showing you. Because a thought that cannot be placed immediately will be lost eventually. Your mind's not that smart and sharp. I want you to write down what I'm saying to you. I want you to record it. I'm, 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 I'm giving you heavenly revelation. But I want you to get it. Don't lose it. I want you to remember it. I want you to write down what I'm revealing to you. I started thinking about this like... Chapter 1, he's writing down his prayer. Chapter 2, he's writing down what God is saying to him. But, but, but if, we, if, we, if we don't learn the effectiveness of journaling, man, we're going to stay just in stable misery. We're going to keep living a life of mediocrity. All of a sudden, God shows us something, and if we don't write it down, if we don't record it, it's easy for us to forget it. That's the reason even when he said in communion, as often as you meet, do this do, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget what I did. Don't forget my crucifixion. Don't forget my sacrifice. Don't forget my shredded body. Don't forget my blood I poured out. As often as you meet, do this in remembrance of me. And when God starts to speak to us, if we journal it, it's like, yes. And I can go back and look at journals from the late 80s. I mean, I came to faith in Christ in 85. Nobody told me about journaling, and I didn't know anything about it. And all of a sudden, I got coaching there. And I can go back and show you some of those early things I wrote. Man, and I thought it was some of the most brilliant things I'd ever written in my life. And I look back on it now going, dude, you were in Romper Room. That was so elementary. Look at what God has done over the last 30 plus years. But I look and go, God was faithful there. God was faithful there. God was faithful through that injury. When I really felt like God started growing my heart up and I started praying, God, I'm, I really would like to meet a godly woman to be married to. We just celebrate 20 God answered me there. And when I've got that journal, I'm able to go back and look. You know what journaling does? Seriously. Journaling allows me to focus. Seriously. If I'm writing something out like right now, if I sat down and start to write, I don't get distracted. So if I'm writing down, my wife loves me and thinks I'm sexy, my mind don't float anywhere else. Okay. That was probably a bad illustration. But when you're writing, you know what it does to your mind? If I wrote down, you got your pen. Come on. If I write this down, Abba, I belong to you. Write it again. Abba, I belong to you. 
I can totally lose focus that anybody else is in the room. If I started writing stuff down right now, Luke was at the house one day. I was reading a chapter out of God is closer than you think. I was locked in. Because what are you doing? I said, I'm almost through with this chapter. He goes, you've been reading the whole time? Noise is going, all this. Yes, I eliminated y'all. <laughs> I was contemplating this. But if I can get in a quiet place, oh, it's amazing how much more I can remember. So when I write, don't, 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 don't. When I, when I write, it keeps me focused. And when I write, it allows me to remember. Write it down. This is what he says. Here's what I want you to do. Get along with God. Write it down. Last point. After I've gotten along with God, after I've withdrew, after I've watched him waited, after I start writing, he goes, now worship. He says in Habakkuk chapter 3, God, I've heard about all that you do, Lord. I am filled with awe by the amazing things that you've done. In this time of our deep need, begin again to help us as you did in these years gone by. God, I know that you're faithful. I've gone back and read some of the accounts of what you've done that we've journaled. God, I know you're faithful. Would you do now what you've done in the past? Would you just be faithful? Would you just be generous? Would you just be trustworthy and dependable in this moment? Yes. Yes. That's what he says. Show us your power. Show us the power that you have to save us. He goes, I'm going to worship you. You've spoken. And, and even though it might look like all hell is breaking loose right now, I'll worship you and adore you. Because he closes out Habakkuk by saying, you know, there might not be any grapes on the vine right now. And, and the olive... That plant may look like it's suffering right now. Read the end of Habakkuk 3. Though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine and the olive crop fails and the fields are lying empty and barren and the flocks are dying in the fields and the cattle barns appear to be empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord because you're faithful and good. I'm not going to empower the circumstance I am, I'm, I'm in right now. I'm going to remember how faithful and good you are. This too shall pass. This is a season. You said just wait. Your timing is going to be perfect. So even though all hell's breaking loose and it appears to be little food and, and little meat and little uh, progress going on, I, re I rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in you because you're good. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. I'm going to worship you. Come hell or high water. No matter what the power bill looks like, you're good. I'm still telling y'all to cut the lights off, but listen, you're good. You're good. And I think oftentimes we, we empower the pain and the problem or the dysfunction in the moment. And we get so focused on that that we start to lose the joy of our salvation. But if we would step back and pick up our journal and start to read and remember how good God's been, then we can look at the circumstances and say, hey, you too shall pass because my God is faithful and my God ain't done with me and my God's up to something right now, even in the midst of his silence. 
I'm about to be restored. He's about to be glorified. He's about to do something in the supernatural that I can't manufacture in the natural circumstances. You don't own me. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, the one who rescued me out of the ruins of darkness when I was raising hell and all kinds of crazy, and the one who plucked me out of the ruins, I'll rejoice in you. It's a little rough right now. It's a little bumpy, but you're good. So I'm going to write out my prayers, and then I'm going to write out his answers, and I'm going to remember, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to exalt in the Lord. I'm telling you right now, this is as practical as I can be for you in regarding how to get guidance from God, how to hear from God when I'm longing for guidance. What am I supposed to do? Get with God. Eliminate the horizontal distractions. Don't let any man run interference right now if God is trying to have a breakthrough in your soul. I don't need to hear what Tom, Dick, and Harry have to say to me. I want to hear what Abba has to say because Abba, I belong to you. Right? So you want to hear from God. You want to worship God. You want to totally embrace God. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.